If you have a Bible, if I can encourage you to turn in it to Psalm 40. Now, we're going to start in John 16 just for a minute, but we'll end up in Psalm 40. So if you want to go to both, hey, you're good to do that, but we're going to be in Psalm 40. And if you're looking in the Bible in front of you, the, one of the pew Bibles, you can turn to page 468. Louis Brandeis was a Supreme Court justice here in the United States from 1916 to 1939. And before he was a justice and during his time as a justice, so his time as an attorney and then as a Supreme Court justice, he, he did some groundbreaking things. He made some legal arguments that were considered revolutionary and he, as a justice, did some things and established legal practice. Both what he did as an attorney and as a justice have continued. All these years later, he still has had an impact. And so if you were to Google his name and all of that, you'd find out he was impressive and people thought he was great. And he's actually got a university in the Boston area named after him. He also was a guy that had all kinds of quotes. And maybe because he was a Supreme Court justice, you know, a lot of those quotes show up. But what's interesting is, is one of his most famous quotes has nothing to do with him being an attorney, nothing to do with him being a Supreme Court justice, but has everything to do with him being the father of a very frustrated and impatient daughter. To her, he said these words, my dear, if you would only recognize that life is hard, things would be so much easier for you. That really is an important life lesson just in those words. I mean, life is going to be marked by hard moments. We kind of need to understand that instead of being, whoa, where did that come from? No, it's going to happen. The fact is, Jesus understood that life lesson way before Louis Brandeis did. In fact, Jesus said very similar words when he was in the upper room before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested. And John records a part of that conversation in John chapter 16. So in John chapter 16, verse 1, the disciples heard Jesus say these words, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Here's something about another life lesson. See, Jesus knew that hard moments coming into our lives can have a significant spiritual impact on our lives. Hard moments can actually set us up from falling away, from following the true and living God. It can do that for us. It puts pressure on us in those ways. Not what Jesus wants for you and me in hard moments or in any time. In fact, quite honestly, what Jesus wants for you and me in the hard moments of life is to know peace and to have courage. At the end of John 16 in verse 33, Jesus said this to the disciples. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now here's a good question to ask. When knowing that hard moments are going to come, how can you and I get to the place of peace and courage so we can overcome? I mean, take heart. He's talking about courage here. He's talking about peace. He's talking about overcoming. How can we get to that place? Jesus was very direct with the disciples. He told them, you're going to have tribulation. Okay, that's a statement of reality. But you and I need more than reality. See, if all you know is reality, knowing that you're in a hard moment, knowing hard moments are going to come, that can be paralyzing. 
Which is why we need to read what Jesus said in John 13, 30, or John 16, 33 carefully. See, Jesus overcame. He overcame the tribulations of life that go with doing the mission of God. If you're going to follow God, you're going to do his mission, you will experience tribulation. We need to realize that. Which again, then raises the question, how do we get to the point of peace and courage? I mean, Jesus is calling us to that. How do we get there? Well, that's why I had you turn to Psalm 40 this morning. Because through David facing a hard moment, I think Psalm 40, through Psalm 40, the Holy Spirit really offers us three keys. Three keys that can kind of unlock the door to peace and courage. Unlock the door so we can overcome when we're in hard moments. What are those keys? Key number one would be this. Remember God delivered in the past. If you want to open the door to peace and courage in your life in the midst of hard moments, is you need to remember what God has done in the past. To start facing a hard moment, that's where David does. He looks in the rearview mirror. He looks behind him. Psalm 40 begins verses one and two this way. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of, from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Now, we don't know the context David was in when he wrote Psalm 40, nor do we know the context he's looking back to, but what's very clear from verses 1 and 2 is it was not a great spot to be. David was in a tough spot. Okay, being in a pit of destruction is not exactly where I want to spend my summer, right? It's not a desirable thing, but that's where he was. And the idea of waiting in verse 1 is waiting. David was there. He was there for a season of time. He was in this pit. And yet in that pit, David cried out, and the God who hears came, and that God rescued David. God took David from the miry bog and stuck him on solid rock. You could say David went from mud to rock, from stuck and sinking to solid. God did that for David. He's looking back and realizing, look what God did. And as David looks back and sees, look what God does. That victory of God, that thing God did in David's life, sparked in David joy and worship. Look at verses three to five. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. David's kind of overwhelmed in the moment. Now, the word new song in verse 3 is probably a technical term for a victory song. David had been touched by God 
And David realized God had moved on his behalf. And in doing that, he brought David to the place where David was in place. He could enjoy a victory. God had given him victory. God had given him a triumph. And that victory for David said, you know what? I have got to now sing a song. I've got to proclaim. He's given me joy. He's given me something. I need to praise him. And I need to thank him. I need to sing a victory song. I need to sing a new song. That victory also created a message, though, that David knew he had to share. Because of what God had done for David, David was telling people, you need to fear God. You need to rightly respond to God because look at what this amazing God does for us. I mean, as verse 4 unpacks, the, the report of God's victory, when people began to hear, look what God has done, that moved people to trust God. Instead of trusting lies, instead of trusting other people, they were moved to trust the God who does incredible things, the God who is amazing. See, because of what God had done, David had to celebrate God. He had to point to God and say, look at how amazing my God is. Now, I told you, this is about hard moments. Verses 1 to 5 don't exactly sound very hard in a sense. I mean, yeah, he was in a bad spot, but then it gets really exciting. So maybe you need to ask yourself, why... Why, if you're facing a hard moment, should you start by looking in the rearview mirror? Why should you consider what God has done in the past? Well, I think if we're going to grasp the message of verse 40, we need to grasp what these words were doing for David. You see, by remembering what God had done, by David looking behind him, the Holy Spirit was sparking within David hope. Folks, when you and I remember what God has done in the past, we actually can receive from the Holy Spirit renewing strength, renewing hope to face the present. Let me ask you what probably is going to seem like a duh question. Why do we encourage you? Why do we say, hey, you should read the Bible? Why do we gather together on Sunday mornings to sing together songs about things God has accomplished, things God has done? Why? We do both those activities because when we do them, it causes us, it invites us to remember what God has done in the past. And through remembering what God has done in the past, we can begin to receive from the Holy Spirit renewing strength, renewing hope. That's why we do those things. See, when we're facing hard moments, what we should do is first look in the rearview mirror to receive from God the strength to face those things. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, when people faced hard moments, the prophets would almost often tell them to remember the Exodus. And as people who live on the New Testament side of history, we are told in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 that when we share in communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We're told to be reminded regularly, repeatedly of the cross. Why? 
Well, because the exodus and the cross show us that God delivers people, that God fights for his people, people that are trapped and in bondage and cannot solve their issue, God steps in and God rescues. Folks, it is so easy in hard moments to be paralyzed and to be anxious. Sometimes I look at my life and think I'm the poster child for that. It's easy for me to be anxious. It's easy for me to get paralyzed because I don't know what to do. But David is telling us, if we look in the rearview mirror, God delivers. And if I remember that God delivers, I can be moved then to worship and praise him, which means the strength of the Holy Spirit, the hope the Holy Spirit offers comes resident into our lives. If you want to move to the place of peace and courage, you move there first, we're told in Psalm 40, by remembering what God has done in the past. That's the first key. Key number two would be to align to God's purposes in our lives. If we're going to move to the place of peace and courage, we then have to take the second key, which is align to God's purpose for our lives. Now, David does a little bit of a gear shift between verse 5 and verse 6. He takes us from thinking about the past to getting us to think about how we should live right now. Now, in hard moments, probably our thing would be, hey, we're in a crisis, so we're in a crisis mode. But David doesn't go there. He doesn't go to the crisis. He says, no, I want you to think a little more broadly than just the crisis. I want you to think about how you should be living your life. See, David believes there are some key things that should mark our lives, whether we're in a great moment, a sad moment, a hard moment, a soft moment, a difficult moment, any moment, there's some things we should be doing. And he's saying we need to align with those things. Verse 6. In sacrifice and offerings, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Now, this verse presents a little bit of a challenge for us to understand. There's some things we need to think about. I believe what David is doing in verse 6 is using poetic language. David wants to make it clear to us that there's more to our lives than sacrifice. Okay? That life isn't just about sacrifice. Now, to be clear, in the Old Testament, sacrifices needed to happen. Okay, and those sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament were made in anticipation of Jesus going to the cross and dying in our place for our sins. Because here's the thing, sin must be dealt with. Okay, it must be. So sacrifice needs to happen, but we need to understand that's not all there is to life. It's not just about sacrifice. Life, folks. What David, I think, is trying to get at in verse 6 is that life is about living in a relationship with God. And in that relationship, it's characterized by us being obedient. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, where are you getting that from verse 6? Well, I'm getting it from the words, given me an open ear, to which you might be saying, huh? What is that? How does that work? Well, it works this way. 
If you have an English Bible that has little footnotes, you probably see that that phrase could be translated, ears you have dug for me. Literally, that's what it means. Ears you've dug for me. That probably doesn't sound any clearer to us. Well, it probably doesn't sound as clearer to us because that's actually a Hebrew, language, a Hebrew figure of speech. In the Hebrew culture of David's time, there was a strong connection between hearing and obeying. So the idea of the figure of speech is God gave you ears, and if God gave you ears, he gave those so you'll obey him. See, you hear God speak, and you do what God said. How many parents have tried to communicate that same principle to their kids? You heard me, so do it, right? That's the idea. You hear it, you do it. Now, this idea of obeying, though, isn't, I said it, you do it. That's not the idea. The idea of God giving us ears is one of devotion, one of relationship. David wants us to know that a part of our purpose for our lives, in every moment of life, part of our purpose is to live a life of devotion to God. That's a part of the purpose of our lives. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, captures that idea when it calls us, in view of God's mercies, to be living sacrifices. We're to give our lives to him because of what he's given us in Christ. Interestingly, Hebrews chapter 10 actually quotes from Psalm 40 and verse 6. But it doesn't quote from the Hebrew version of the Bible. It actually quotes from the Greek version of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint. And when the translators went from the Hebrew Bible to the Greek version of the Old Testament, they said, this Hebrew word figure of speech thing is not working. We're going to use a Greek figure of speech. So in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, it says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But a body have you prepared for me. A body was prepared for Jesus to live a life of devotion to God, to be a living sacrifice. Jesus was devoted to God. In fact, you could say Jesus' life is an example to us. When you read the Gospels, part of what we need to see is Jesus living this life of devotion. It's an example. How can I live a devoted life? By following the example of Jesus. It's a picture of it. And if you were to continue to read in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10 is going to point out that because of Jesus' death in our place, on the cross for our sins, Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, Jesus makes it possible for you and I to be devoted to God. Okay, what's the purpose of life? Part of the purpose of our lives is we are to live devoted to God. That's an amazing thing. Now, I know we said we're in Psalm 40, so let's go back to Psalm 40. You can read Hebrews 10 afterwards, okay? That's your homework for this week. We go back to Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, add some more things. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll, sorry, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Folks, Jesus came and did God's will. Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 40 are very descriptive of Jesus. 
but they are also descriptive of what the equipping work of Jesus is doing in the lives of his people. If you're a follower of Jesus, what I mean by that is if you've trusted Jesus alone as your Savior, you've repented of your sins and you trust Jesus alone, he commits to do a work in your life and he's doing this work to move you. So that's verses seven and eight describe his work in your life, that you want to live a life of devotion to God, a life of devotion that's expressed in obedience. So David is saying, if you want peace and courage, one of the things you need to understand is the purpose of God is for you to live a life of devotion. But that's not the only purpose of God. David has another thing he wants to add. There's more there. See, our lives are about devotion, but they also should be about declaring the good news of God's deliverance. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 40. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. David believed that he had to share about God's deliverance. He had to. And the deliverance that God brings, the deliverance God offers us is caused by the beauty of God's character. And I want you to notice the word deliverance in verse 9 and in verse 10. The reason I want you to notice it is because that word could be translated as righteousness. Now, I don't want you to miss the point that I think David is trying to make here. The translators are trying to help us see we are delivered, folks. We are delivered. We are saved by Jesus because of who God is. Because God is righteous. Because God is faithful. Because he's full of steadfast love. That's why we are delivered. We're delivered because of who God is and what he does. That's an amazing thing. Which means when we realize who God is and what he's done for us, that should move us where we want to tell people how incredible God is, how beautiful God is. Look what he's done for us. Now let me hit the pause button. Let me ask the question. Why should you and I be concerned about aligning with God's purpose if you're in a hard moment? I mean, you don't you just have to deal with the hard moment? Why do you need to worry about these other things? Well, back up with me for a minute to Justice Brandeis and more importantly to what Jesus said. We need to recognize, folks, that these hard moments are a part of the train ride of life. Hard moments are not a train derailment. We think they are, but they're not a train derailment. Rather, what David was experiencing in this psalm is that hard moments may very well be gifts to us to actually help us live life. Hard moments offer us the chance to actually clarify what really matters. To ask the question, in the midst of the hard moment, to ask the question, God, what should I be doing with my life? See, you and I can be doing all kinds of things and never questioning whether we should or shouldn't. And a hard moment comes and all of a sudden, whoa. The hard moment is a gift from God to ask the question, God, what should I be doing? 
to go back to Psalm 40. In hard moments, we need to be seeking to align our lives around devotion to God and declaring his beauty to other people so they can see and believe and trust in him. Folks, if you and I are going to have peace and courage and we're going to overcome in hard moments, it comes from us remembering what God did in the past, how God delivered in the past. It also comes from us aligning our lives to his purpose. And then key number three, if you're going to unlock the door to peace and courage so you can overcome, key number three then is you ask for God's help. Now, I'll be honest, I probably would have started here. If I was writing Psalm 40, I would have been, God, help! But David's got to go through some things, then he gets to the third thing. Verse 11 of Psalm 40, a prayer of David. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and faithfulness will ever preserve me. David is asking, God, would you bring your mercy? Would you bring your steadfast love? Would you bring your faithfulness? Now, I want to make something clear to make sure we understand verse 11. I think it's very easy, at least easy for me, and so I'm going to project it onto you, maybe easy for you, to kind of see mercy and steadfast love and faithfulness as if they're commodities or, or maybe they're ingredients. You know, you might think, okay, I'm in this hard, hard moment of life, and so I'm going to need two cups of mercy and a, and a tablespoon of steadfast love. But next week, when I'm in a different hard moment... I'm going to need a quarter cup of faithfulness, three tablespoons of steadfast love, and just a pinch of mercy. You know, I just need a little bit of these things, and I'm going to mix it in the cake, and it'll all be fine. We can think of it that way. But David isn't looking at those traits or characteristics of God as ingredients. See, the words that we would say in verse 11, not restrained, is actually the Hebrew word for come. And so really what David is doing in verse 11 is he's saying, God, it's not that I don't, I, I want you to come. I want you to bring who you are. I want you to bring your presence into my life. I'm in a situation. I need help. Would you be present? Folks, you and I need to understand. We need God's presence in every single moment of our lives. Our Father, our Heavenly Father knows that. Which is why for every person that's trusted the Lord Jesus alone as their Savior, God the Father and God the Son, send God the Holy Spirit to be present in your life to help you. If you haven't trusted the Lord Jesus, I want you to hear one of the incredible benefits of trusting Christ is that God the Father and God the Son send God the Holy Spirit into your life to help you, to walk with you, to encourage you in the hard moments. Now you might need to ask the question, I need to ask the question, why do I need God's presence? I mean, if I'm asking for God's help, can't God just send me a couple of things and take care of it? Why do I need his presence? Well, the rest of the psalm is going to give us three reasons why we need his presence. 
Reason number one, why do we need God's presence? Because we have problems. And actually you could add to that because we have problems we cannot solve. That's why we need God's presence. We have problems we cannot solve. Verse 12 of Psalm 40 says this, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. David is asking for help. He's asking for God's presence for at least two reasons or two causes. One, quite simply, the beginning of verse 12 is because there's evil around him. And he's like, there's just too much of it. He's got to face it and deal with it. The second cause of David's problems is a little more personal. It's a little more up close. David knows that he has an issue with sin. Now, I don't believe David is denying God's forgiveness. It's not what he's saying in verse 12. But I think as David looks throughout his life, from the present back, and he looks at his life, he realizes that he has done things. He has sinned. And that sin has caused damages. That sin has brought consequences. See, we need to understand, folks, God forgives our sin. But that doesn't mean God removes every consequence of our sins. And so as David is looking back at his life, one of the things he sees is there's tentacles of consequences that are creating all kinds of issues. And if you read the story of David's life, some of his sins left consequences he didn't know how to deal with. You and I don't know how to deal with the consequences of our sins. Sometimes we're marked by those things and we don't have a solution. David needs help. He needs God's presence. We need God to work, folks. Which is why verse 12 leads to verse 13. He's overwhelmed, so what does he do? Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Okay, why do we ask for God's help? Why do we ask for his presence? Because we have problems we can't solve. David will say another reason why he's going to ask for God's presence is because we need God's kingdom to come. What we need around us, because there is evil around us, because there's consequences in our lives, we need God's reign and rule to come. The psalm continues, verses 14 and 15. Let those be put to shame and disappointment altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Now Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter six to pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in a lot of ways, folks, what David's doing in verses 14 and 15 is he's doing just that. David is asking God to bring his reign and rule in a world that's flipped upside down and there's all this evil. He's saying, God, I need your kingdom to come. I need your reign to come. I need your rule to come. I need your help. I need you to be present to help us in this moment. You see, in David's hard moments, he's looking for God's kingdom. When you and I ask for help, we ask for God's presence. We're doing the same thing. God, would you come? Would you bring your kingdom? Would you bring your will? Third reason David asked for help. Third reason David asked for God to be present. 
is so that he can be confident. So that that door really is open. He can be confident, have peace and courage. Hard moments can be extra hard if you're all alone. But David found out when you know God is present, things change. Look at verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. David was feeling overwhelmed in verses 14 and 15, but if God comes, if God is present, I can rejoice. I can live with my head up. I can live with confidence. I can rejoice because God gives salvation, because God's here. Let me state the obvious. Hard moments are going to come in every single one of our lives. Now, please, that's not me being... Debbie Downer or negative Nelly or whatever. That's a statement of reality based on the authority of Jesus from John chapter 16 and verse 33. That's a part of the reality of life. Another part of the reality of life is that we are poor and needy. Now, those things are both part of reality, but they are not ultimate reality. You see, ultimate reality is tied to God, to the one who takes thought of us, which means if, if we're going to live in light of ultimate reality in hard moments, if he takes thought of us, if we know that we want to be in a place of peace and confidence and courage so we can overcome, we need, we need to remember what God has done in the past, how God has delivered and we need to be aligning our lives to his purpose of devotion and declaring. And we need to be asking for his presence, for his help. Why? Why do those things? Because God is the help and God is the deliverer. The psalm ends this way in verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. May that be our prayer in hard moments. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful to you for your word and your truth. We're grateful for you that we can gather, that we can come and hear what you say through your word. Lord, it has been a sweet time this morning to be able to celebrate, sing, in essence, sing a new song, sing a victory song because of what you've done. And Lord, as we're here and we get ready to leave this room, maybe we're in a hard moment or maybe a hard moment is about to come. God, I thank you that in those hard moments, you are the help and deliverer we need. You are the one 
who can move in our lives. You did it in the past. You can do it today. I pray, Father, we look to you. And instead of being paralyzed and anxious, would we align to what you're calling us to do, to be devoted to you and to be declaring your incredible goodness. Lord, thank you for the chance to be here this morning. Thank you for the sweet time we've had in the service. And Lord, I pray for the, another sweet time as we gather together and share in some food. Lord, thank you for giving us those kinds of things. In the very precious and powerful name of the Savior, we pray.